Nicolas Cage is probably one of our generation's definitive actors. Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting. It's your main man, Andy Gillard here. Hope you're all keeping well right now. Hi everybody, Matt Guy here. Hope you are all splendid. Greetings and salutations. You need to all strap in for this one because this is a corker. Hello everyone. (laughs) I predict history is about to be made. I'm not going to tell you why, but history is about to be made. In Cage Fighting pod terms, that is. Right, okay, okay. I'm intrigued to know what what to expect from this film. (laughs) Ah, So we're here to discuss a film called Stolen from 2012. Um, I'd never heard of this film before. Uh, Am I the only one or is this brand new to both of you as well? I'd never heard of it. No, I'd never heard of this one. Um, Complete news to me. It it looks and is in that time frame of... He'll do anything for a quick book, I think. So it was mm. just one of those. It just passed, passed me, passed me by. Yeah, absolutely no clue. The, the poster for this film is the most ridiculous, nondescript, straight to DVD looking thing I've ever fucking seen. It's appalling. <laughs> like, go on to IMDb right now and look at this and tell me that is not definitely going straight to DVD and just like a vanilla DVD as well with no extras. Like, it's going to be £4 in a bargain bin before you know it. This <laughs> so it's starring, obviously, Nicolas Cage, Marlene Ackerman and Danny Houston, both actors I quite like, but they're also actors known for pumping out forgettable dreck as well. Are, are these guys that you're vaguely interested in at all? Mm, not really. Nothing like that jumps out out the page for me. Um I think this begin upon watching it. Oh, it was very much was a ah, this is where the budget went on Nick Cage, and then <laughs> like they didn't want to splash too much cash elsewhere. Yeah, the the, the kind of actors that you just like I mentioned before, where you just sometimes where you see people's faces. Oh yeah, they were in they're in an episode of Supernatural or something like that, and it, it was very much a case of that with these. Yeah, I mean Dan, Danny Houston's done shit loads, but. He's, he's never really been a star in anything. He's always been part of the ensemble. So, like, he was in American Horror Story, if I remember correctly. And I see Marlene Ackerman. He's in, is it, is it Millions or Billions? I can't remember. And um, Watchmen, of course, as well. Uh, so, the director on this one is a Simon West. He did the first Tomb Raider movie, The Mechanic, Expendables 2, and closer to this podcast, Con Air. So he's someone whose work we have seen previously. None of those films are particularly great, though, if I'm being brutally honest. Like the Mechanic is probably the best one of that bunch, but I haven't seen that for about seven or eight years, to be honest. Thoughts on Simon uh, West? Expendables 2 is fun, though. This is what, mm. you know, I like to kind of more than you two did, obviously, but yeah, Expendables 2 knows exactly what it is, and it kind of goes with that, which is you see Simon West, you think, well, you can you know what you're gonna get and didn't really get it this time. <laughs> Matt, Simon West fan or not someone you're interested in? 
Mm, not particularly. I think the only th- all this film from a from a from a cast point of view was um, I was trying to work out where I knew MC Gainey from, and of course he was in Con Air. Um, he's the guy who plays um, uh, the. It's not. He wasn't the the dri- driver. What was he? What was his thing? Was it, oh, he was the tech guy, wasn't he? In this, I think. Um, or he's the he was like the guy on the inside that did like the um, like the techie bit. Um, it's one of those exactly like Stu said. It's just a film full of people that you think, where have I seen them before? That's exactly <laughs> what it was. So IMDb describes this film as a former thief frantically searches for his missing daughter who has been kidnapped and locked in the trunk of a taxi. Put your hands in the air! On your knees. When did you get out? I missed you, Will. It's good to see you again, Rye. I dropped by Alice's. What is she now, 14? You look like your mom. I have to go. Hello? Hello, Will. Vincent? I want my share. Of the $10 million that was going to change our lives. There is no cash. A daughter of yours. She grew up real nice. Where is she? Your former partner has kidnapped your daughter and is holding her in the cab. I'm not being played by you. I want to talk to her now. I want to hear her voice now. This all depends on you. To save his daughter. There's no way you can steal $10 million. This isn't your life anymore. I'm running out of time. He has just 12 hours. You don't think he's telling the truth? No, I do not. To steal $10 million. Fire alarm just went off a Paris community bank. I want this guy nailed. Your father abandoned me. I'm going to make him pay for the both of us. The film begins with a three-minute intro sequence that would not have felt out of place at the beginning of an episode of Diagnosis Murder or something from the nineties. <laughs> like, and to be honest, after seeing the intro, this is like the most nineties film ever as well. I, I don't know why it just it had proper nineties vibes to it. Like, so you've got Nick Cage, Marlene Ackerman, and there's this other dude who is the most generic nineties man I have ever seen. With his weird <laughs> nude, noodly hair with highlights, it was fucking appalling. Uh, but yeah, they're sat in this van, they're waiting for a call so they can go and do a bank robbery, not realizing that Danny Houston and the FBI were laying in wait. The annoying thing straight off the back is it, it reminded me of an episode of Cage Fighting we did where I kept referring to someone as not Marlene Ackerman, and for the life of me, I couldn't remember what episode that was. <laughs> um, but it was left behind because the daughter looks like a malnourished Marlene Ackerman. Uh, <clears throat> so, ask Cage. My, fir- th- my first, sorry, <laughs> sorry, mate. My first note is this is, and this is this will be this will be where where we differ, where you can start to pe- you know put together the pieces of where I. My first note is funky ass music to start, and I liked it. That's <laughs> 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 my first. That was my first note. I loved it. Like the, the start of this, the start of this movie, I thought it was great, and like the the music made it out like I was watching something like Miami Vice or something. I don't know. It was just, um, it just had this really weird music over the top of it, where it, it's almost taking the piss out of itself from the very start. I mean, if this had if this had started in four point three, you wouldn't not have questioned it, would you? No, not at all. <laughs> so, ask Kate and the generic 
white guy break into the bank. The FBI make their move, only to realise that they're not in the same bank. There's a bit of dissension as well between the generic white guy and Nick Cage. The generic white guy wants to take more than the $10 million that they had originally planned on stealing. And whilst they're escaping, the generic white guy punches an old man, then pulls a gun on him. There's a bit of a scuffle between him and Cage, and that's when the generic white guy gets shot in the leg. In trying to be the ethical crook, Cage gets left behind and the police arrive, giving him chase. It's not long before Cage runs out of road and Danny Houston arrests him. But not before Cage does something with the money. What that is, we don't yet know. 20 minutes in, I didn't think that was a bad opening, to be honest. Matt, you've obviously nailed your uh, colours to the mast early doors on this one. Big fan of uh, the start then? Well, yes, uh, yes and no. One of my pet peeves in 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 film is an incompetent heist. It really, <laughs> really, mm-hmm. really annoys me because you know, and this comes down to my love, I think, of Reservoir Dogs and the important the importance of being a professional outfit if you're in that racket. And these are not. They're, I don't know how they've ever got to the point where the top FBI agents in the country are after them because they seem so much like bumbling idiots. <laughs> they don't know what they're doing. They don't know the first rule of like a heist. Mm. You know, you know what the score is. Don't fuck about with it. Just get in, get out. You know, there was no need for him to beat up on that old bloke. He just screamed of unprofessionalism and that really annoyed me. Mm. Yeah. But, I, think- I mean, <laughs> I did enjoy the start. <laughs> I would say, though, as the film goes on, they do establish that the FBI are just as fucking hopeless as the film goes on. So mm. I think there's a little bit of that. Stu, opening salvo, what do you reckon? It was all right. Other than when they were talking in the back of the van, which I was like, well, you said it could have been in the 90s and it could have been in 4.3 ratio. Um, I liked the little, the little chase. Well, that was all right. But it was probably where the budget went. But it, again... And my observation at the end of it was there were a lot of strange, stupid decisions in this film and beating up the tramp or whatever he was in the, in the well, cause he saw their face. I mean, who listens to him anyway? Who cares? Just get away. And this was the first mm-hmm. of what turned out to be many, many, many silly things that happened. But yeah, I mean, it was at this point, it, it was what it was. I, I wasn't bored. I thought, well, this is just another one of these, 2011 cage films that we just have to going to have to sit through for a bit but yeah it was all right that's fair so the film picks up eight years later cage uh, in this his name is will montgomery he's being released from prison he picks up a stuffed toy just like he did in conair i'm presuming it's for his child because it's not really explained and then he gets picked up by danny houston who is harland in this movie harland asks about the money and tells him that the generic white guy from the start, has died. Montgomery gets to his daughter's house. She hands him a letter, which was dropped off for him. They start to talk. Montgomery gives his kid, Alison, her name is, the teddy that he'd bought. She's an ungrateful little cunt. She isn't interested (laughs) in talking at all. And she immediately, she hasn't seen him for eight years, and she immediately jumps in a taxi and just fucks off elsewhere. Montgomery then goes to visit Riley. That'll be Marlene Ackerman. She's working in a cop bar after being a former crook. Incredible. Whilst they're catching up, the package Alison gave him, (laughs) that starts to ring, and it's Vincent. That's the generic 90s white guy. 
the one who everyone is saying is dead. He's coughing his guts up. I'm going to wager on this that he's not going to make it to the end of this movie. Vincent is working as a taxi driver now, and he just so happens to be the taxi driver who picked up Alison to take her to her shrink appointment. Vincent tells Montgomery he wants the 10 million or his daughter will get it. Montgomery threatens (laughs) to kick Vince's ass if he does anything to her. What did we think of this? Like, it's it's so fucking contrived, isn't it? The way it's all set up that he just so happens to be a taxi driver when his daughter needs a taxi. Like, at that very moment that she could have gotten a different one. She may have walked. Like, they went to a restaurant. It's not like it was a planned day out and he was there to pick up the piece. It just seems really contrived, this whole thing. Is that just me or, Stu, what do you think? No, it's it's... That trope where we we've seen so many times where it's just to get out to just get the plot along a bit that he just happens to be there. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Nor was I mean, a former criminal working in a cop bar is quite funny, and you kind of think, oh, they've done that for the bants. But yeah, it just again tick number two doesn't make sense. Mm. Matt, well, friends, I have on my notes. Uh, decent and believable premise <laughs> for why for why he's after him for why he's after him. But to answer to squash your poo pooing, a she's working in a cop bar because she wants to be on the inside for a crime where better to work. So okay. there's number one. Number two, he knows where they are because he's got the phone on him that's got the tracker on it. Okay. So there we go. That, okay, that, that makes a little bit of sense. I mean, it's still dumb luck that she needed a taxi and he just so happened to be there. So, okay. Listen, I'll, this I'll... guy, he might, be a, he might be a hobo, but he's a, still a criminal mastermind and he, he's been <laughs> scouting her out for weeks and he knows her movements. It's a, booked, it's a booked appointment. We know it's a booked appointment. She goes there every week. So she's probably got a set series of events that she does. This film is a masterpiece. I will hear nothing else. (laughs) With this information, Montgomery goes to speak to Harland. He explains what's happening and that the night that he was arrested, Montgomery burned the cash so that he was not able to pay this 10 million. Harland doesn't believe him. He assumes that he's telling this story just so the cops are looking elsewhere that he can go and recover this money from the beginning of the film. Like, he burnt that money at the beginning of the film he was in a like an abandoned what like an abandoned warehouse surrounded by hobos. Where's he gonna hide ten million dollars for eight years in a place that is infested with hobos? That's not gonna happen, is it? <laughs> Two FBI agents then strung arm Montgomery to the lift. They are escorting him out of the building. Montgomery attacks both of them and cuffs them to the elevator, stealing their badges in the middle of the FBI offices. Nobody notices, nobody notices. Montgomery then walks back into the offices, sits down at a computer and just logs straight into Homeland Security Systems like it was nothing. He hasn't seen a computer for eight years and he can log into the fucking FBI mainframe for crying out loud. He manages to get some information on Hoyt, who is the former partner who's the one who set them up on the night. He then strolls out before the rest of the cops manage to get to him. When he's logging into that computer... He's been away for eight years. 
And knowing how, how public services are so far behind with things, that could quite the last time you would have seen a computer could have quite easily been Windows ninety eight. So he's going from he's going from Windows ninety eight to what Vista? Mm. Nah, not having it. Not going to happen. In the next scene, we're in the taxi with Vince. He has put Alison in the boot, and he's driving around when some Aussie bloke jumps into the back of the cab. The most Australian person you have ever <laughs> seen in a film. He literally at one point says, I haven't had my donga dip since I got here. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Montgomery gets to Hoyt's apartment and the FBI arrive a few minutes later, shooting Hoyt on sight. Back in the cab, Alison, who Vince has put in the boot, she tries to worm her way out of the back seat. The Aussie left his phone on the back seat and she manages to dial 911 on a fucking Blackberry without looking. Like, I can understand <laughs> if it's on a Nokia phone because they're obvious, but a Blackberry, how are you going to know what you're pressing? But anyway, it's all irrelevant because Vince slowly puts the brakes on and the fl- the phone just goes flying across the screen and out of reach for the uh, the young girl. Montgomery figures out, oh, Montgomery obviously knows that he's in a taxi, so he hijacks a cab the whole time that Montgomery is driving around, dipping in and out of cars in suburbia. He's got a gun in the face of the cabbie, and he's not even looking <laughs> at the road at any point throughout all of this. <laughs> Back at Hoyt's place, Harlan sees signs that Montgomery might have been telling the truth about the kidnapping. Montgomery then gets caught again by FBI agents and they're taking him back to base. He pops his thumbs out of the socket so that he can slip the cuffs off. This is now the second time that Montgomery has been in a two-on-one situation and beat two trained FBI agents and walked away easily. (laughs) After telling Vince that he's got the money... Sorry, after telling Vince he cannot get the money, Montgomery goes to Riley, telling her the only way to save his daughter is one last job. I felt so stupid that I got to this point and didn't realise that the one final job trope was going to come back. I honestly didn't Mm. see that coming. And I should have done because it's the most obvious fucking thing. Like, I almost expected Riley to say, you son of a bitch, I'm in. Like, it's so typical of it. It, Oh, it's terrible. Riley and Montgomery break through the floor of a bank. It seems that getting underneath <laughs> a bank is as easy as just walking into a fucking factory. Just walking through a factory, yet yeah, we're under a bank now, for crying out loud. But yeah, they tunnel their way in, and in order to get the gold out, they put this pipe up underneath the floorboards, which has got a flame on that immediately melts the gold that falls through this hole into this bucket of water. I. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Montgomery goes to confront Vince with the gold. Once they're face to face, they begin to fight. Montgomery kills Vince and saves Alison, not before Montgomery gets stabbed. The FBI arrive just in the nick of time. Harlan says he's not going to arrest Montgomery as he's quote unquote sure that Vince stole the gold. The FBI just look fucking useless in this whole thing. The final scene of this film is at a barbecue with Montgomery, his daughter and Riley. And honestly, it looked like the end of a Fast and Furious film. I almost expected someone to say family just to round. 
<laughs> and that's your film there. So the budget on this movie, it was a grand total of $35 million. It's a, it's a tax write-off, isn't it? That's the only explanation. It's a tax write-off. Matt shaking Money well spent. <laughs> so just to like put a bit of context on this, the film we watched last time at Season of the Witch, that was $40 million. So that was $5 million more than this. Like I, I don't know where that money's gone. I know we've said that a lot on this podcast, but it's a shocker. So the box office, unsurprisingly, it made over just half of its money back. It made $18 million, which honestly, I think it's lucky to have made that. This is a film that had zero advertisement as far as I can remember. And nobody else I know has even heard of this film. So I understand why this movie didn't Mm. make any money back. Isn't it interesting, though, that it was quite easy to torrent. I know that's mm. like a, a, you know, looking into the dark depths, but it wasn't difficult to find this film. What was it that we watched a while a while back? And it was in, almost nigh on impossible to get a copy of it. Um, Trespass. Trespass, mm. yeah. And yet this, it, no, no one's heard of it. No, no marketing for it. No one, you know what I mean? And it was quite quite comfortably easy to get. So it's bizarre that. So with Trespass, you couldn't even buy Trespass on Amazon. You couldn't <laughs> even buy it. This is everywhere. It's weird. <laughs> so compared to the other big films of 2012, this is the only Nick Cage film in 2012, which is incredible because at this point he's averaging about four films per year. Like He's, he's working almost nonstop. There were two other actors, though, who were attached to this movie. Strangely, two British actors, Clive Owen and Jason Statham. They probably made the right choices in not doing this film. So in 2012, Statham did Safe and The Expendables 2, earning a box office total of $355 across two movies. And Clive Owen went on to do some indie films that year. He starred alongside Gillian Anderson, Andrea Reesborough, uh, Donald Gleeson, Aidan Gillen, and got to work alongside Indiana Jones co-creator Philip Kaufman. So they did the right thing in turning this film down, I think. At the Academy Awards that year, Argo was the big winner, and it's still a fucking disgrace that Ben Affleck didn't win the best act, the best director award at that uh, at that ceremony. Ridiculous. So before I give you the scores, I want you to tell me what you think it'll be out of ten, out of a hundred. For the critics and the audience, Matt, it'll be it'll be reviewed pretty poorly um, and potentially justifiably. <laughs> um, no, it, it will have so Rotten Tomatoes hundred will be around uh, la, 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 forty five. Amazon will be four point five, as it always is there or thereabouts, and. IMDB will be 6, 6.5, my prediction. Stu? To being a bit optimistic, I think. <laughs> Three, well, 30, Rotten Tomatoes, IMDB, four and a half, five. Amazon speaks for itself. Mm. Yeah, I'd, I'd be shocked if this reviewed anywhere near average. IMDb gave it a 5.5 5 
8 of 10. Um, there was no Metacritic on there for some reason this time. Rotten Tomatoes audience score was a 34% and the critical score was a 20%. <laughs> there was only 20 critics who reviewed this movie, which is quite low for like some of the films that we've looked at. But yeah, one in five was the said it was good. And, and to be honest, there's only one uh, review that was semi-good. And it was from Amanda May Maynick from Pajiba. Um, she said, it's a little hokey, but who cares? That was the most positive review I could find on this film. <laughs> <laughs> Jason Best from Movie Talk. Cage works up a sweat, dashing about New Orleans, but the film's thrills and spills are all too routine. Terry Staunton from Radio Times. The hammy criminal leads chew the scenery, with only Houston delivering a remotely convincing performance. Siobhan Sinot from The Scotsman. Far more fun when it was called Taken, which I think is fair. (laughs) (laughs) The fan response... However, some people did like this film. On Amazon.com, Stolen got a 4.3 out of 5 with 81% 4 or 5 star reviews. So, P.W. Smith said, film okay, 5 stars. (laughs) Harry Farnaby, not seeing this feature film, but can't wait to watch it, 5 stars. (laughs) Keith C. Hales with the review titled Not His Best. He says, not a bad film at all. Five stars. <laughs> Finally, Sammy said, bought us a gift, so not sure what it was like, but not had a bad review back on it, so it must have been good. Kiss, kiss. Five stars. <laughs> Incredible. I love Amazon. It's the fucking dirt worst. Anyway, the good, the bad and the crazy. Matt, kick us off. So the good, um, I put down <laughs> its use of music. It was fun and built tension occasionally when it needed to. Like the, the click clacking of street performers springs to mind when they were tap dancing in the street. But it had just a fun, a kind of a fun element to it. Like it, it almost felt like it was taking the piss out of itself through its use of music, which I quite enjoyed. Um, the bad, this is probably going way too deep than the, the the film actually probably meant to ever be but the women are portrayed in this movie like absolute dirt they're either subservient or they're just useless and can't protect themselves there's not one strong female woman in this mm. in this movie they're all they're either there to be um they're there to be an assistant or a barmaid and not that those are professions that are to be looked down on, but they're only ever like the, the, the Nick Cage's um, accomplice. She's only there to be the decoy so he can get away. She doesn't, you know, they're, they're never exposed. There's like the brains of the operation. There's an assistant that's only good for pouring sugar in the FBI's tea. The daughter is ridiculously stupid and doesn't have the first idea. Like, and he's completely helpless throughout the whole thing. The, the, the portrayal of women was really, really like offensively bad in this in this movie. Um, the crazy was the reincarnation of the American dream, Dusty Rhodes at the dispatch base. Because <laughs> basically, the guy he was just—I don't know what they were doing with that guy. He was just—he was just bizarre. Like I know they were trying to make it a little bit funny, but all I could think of was um, was the American dream, and um, 
it was just uh, it was it was strange. Um, another crazy though would have been the invisibility mask that Nick Cage put on when he was running away from the FBI, and he puts on one mask, and then all of a sudden, no one can see him. <laughs> if they've been chasing him for like <laughs> like for ages. Mm. Uh, like you mentioned the taxi cab operator dude like he was probably my only good in this film i thought he was quite funny like i i wanted a bit more of him and the aussie dude from the the cab they they were like awful fucking stereotypes but i at least laughed which isn't much like i didn't have much of a reaction to anything else in this film but they made me laugh and that that's something i suppose the bad marlene ackerman like she's barely seen in this movie the FBI come across as completely incompetent. They're always one step behind at all times. Like they, they broke in a bank to steal gold bullion with 10 minutes notice. It's fucking insane. Does not make any sense. <laughs> and like, Matt, we've said before about us wrestling fans, we have to have a good suspension of disbelief. But my suspension of disbelief took a fucking beating in this movie. It, it crossed that line <laughs> for me. It really did. And the crazy. So another peek behind the cage fighting curtain here. We were supposed to record this last week. Um, and when Stu watched it in the build up for it, he tweeted, um, I think it was like the weekend, he tweeted uh, something about Stolen. I can't remember the exact words. And I thought to myself, have I watched Stolen? I couldn't remember a single thing about this movie. I had to read my notes to refresh my memory. It had all completely <laughs> vanished. I didn't fucking know what this movie was. That speaks volumes about what it is. Uh, Stu, what's your good, bad and crazy, please? I mean, the, the good... The setting, I suppose, because you don't see many things in New Orleans that are not based on witchcraft and the the purity of black people and that <clears> kind of thing. So to see a, a kind of action film... Inverted commas, action film, nonsense based there was nice, and to see like the effects of what's happened there in the recent past as well, I thought it was a really cool idea to have something like that based there. It's stretching it a bit for that to be the good bit, but and the fact that it wasn't very long, that was probably a good thing as well. Uh, the bad, mm-hmm. I mean, it's literally everything else. I mean, look, like you, know, I watched it. This is a, one of the very few ones of these that we've done in the last year that. I fell asleep and I had to rewind it because it, I was bored out of my mind. <laughs> it, it was Only eighty minutes long. It, exactly. It's, it, I watch. I, I put it on at half eight at night. I wasn't even tired, and it made me tired. It made me go to sleep. And it's there's a few things like, like where she's trying to claw her way through the back of the car seat. I hadn't seen that before. That was I thought that was quite a nice idea, but then. She's blind dialing on a Blackberry, like you've already mentioned, which is ridiculous. So it, that's ruined as well. It's just good ideas, just badly executed again. But there's so many badly executed things in it that it doesn't make any sense at all. And that kind of moves on to the crazy as well, because do you know what the actual melting point of gold bullying is? I, I was supposed to look at this. What is it? 1,064 degrees. And they managed to do that through the floor into a bucket, and then pick it up and put it in a bag. So unless there's some magic in that water, you ain't cooling. For one, you're not getting anything that hot anyway and holding it up to the ceiling with the embers flying all over yourself and not burn your face off. And you're not going to cool it down that quickly in a barrel of water either, are you? So, yeah, it's just complete nonsense. Shit. 
<laughs> so, <laughs> Stu, did you enjoy the film? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> Matt? Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did though because it was it, it, it was it was silly. It was stupid. It made no sense. But it wasn't it wasn't boring. It was a short-ish film by comparative status. It moved along. It wasn't slow and plodding, and it was fun to poke fun at it while I was watching. So yeah, I enjoyed it. Is it a good film? No. Did I enjoy it? Yes. That, that's where I am with it. Mm, yeah like in the moment it was fine it killed 90 minutes to be perfectly honest you know but there was nothing of substance or worth to it we like we've definitely seen worse though but we've seen a hell of a lot better too um it did feel all over the shop though one minute it was a crime thriller then it was an adventure romp romp then it was one last job then it was a romantic action and then it was a dramatic and it was uh, it's just all over the place, I think, for me. I think if if I had to give it a, a star rating, it would be a two out of five. Because it's not bad enough to have left a mark, but it's not good enough to have remembered either. Even only a week later, as I've already mentioned, like it's, it's all over the place. <laughs> so based on this film and this film alone, was Cage good or was Cage bad? Matt? As much as I want to say he was good, I can't say he was good. I think he... I think you could see that he enjoyed it. I don't think he put in a lazy performance. I just think that it's just it's just an action film anyway. Like I think I probably scored him as no for things like Con Air and stuff, which are infinitely better films than this. Mm. But no, I don't think I can give him like acting chops for this as much as like I enjoyed taking the piss out of the film. Jim, yeah, that's fair. He he did have a lot to work with anyway. Um, and he's not really, he's not the worst thing about this by a, a million miles. <laughs> There's a lot more things to slag off, but yeah, he's not, it's not even on the like 59, 49, 50 scale, is it really? It's just, you can't really rate because he didn't, he didn't really do anything. So it's got to be a no. I think, I think it's a big failure of the script, but there was no character. Like, I, I don't know who mm. Will Montgomery is. And that's as much to do with the script as it is to do with Nick Cage. Like when we interviewed David Nell recently, he talks about how Nick Cage always makes a choice about his characters. And he didn't really with this. It didn't make an impact. So for me, I also think it's a bad. One final thing about Nick Cage's performance that I read. He had a scoliosis coach for this film. Did I miss something? Because I don't remember the character having scoliosis or, or even like looking like he had a bad back. I'm a little bit confused where that came from. Like, I, I've no oh, idea. No, what it is. It's, it's interesting, actually, you say that, because I just thought he ran a bit funny. When he was like, there's, there's a lot of running in this, and I thought, he's got a bit of a funny run here. But I just didn't think anything of it. And now you've said that, I'm like, oh, is he meant to have, like, Sustained an injury or something. So that was the character choice. He had scoliosis. <laughs> it was never mentioned. It adds nothing though, does it? Like it doesn't even Weird. it doesn't even factor into anything to do with it, really. It must it must have been like a, a another plot thread that was just completely abandoned. 
late on, and they've just well, or it, it, scoliosis might have been the reason he got caught, and then they've just changed their minds or something like that. That would have made some kind of sense, but mm. who knows? Yeah. So, gents, I need you to finish the sentence. If you enjoyed Stolen, you might also like. Matt? Uh, I don't know why, because they're not the same plot or anything. <laughs> but um, the next three days um, with Russell Crowe, um, basically, he it's an attempt to heist his wife out of prison, basically, and keep her out for a murder that she claims that she didn't commit. Um, a really, really good like tension building movie where you kind of don't know where it's going, and it, it's a did she, didn't she do it? Is it just blind faith in for, with the husband, with the wife? And um, it's it, it doesn't have like much comedic elements to it, but it's just a really enjoyable, really enjoyable film. And I I, th- I, I think it's gone under the radar for a lot of people, and I think you'd enjoy it. Mm, cool, sounds good. Stu, nice and easy. Anything by Liam Neeson in the last 10 years. <laughs> Taken et al. Yeah, perfect. For me, I was just going to say watch the trailer to Stolen because it tells you the whole film in about three minutes. It's much better. <laughs> but seriously, though, um, a film called Prisoners. It was recently on BBC One. It's the Denis Villeneuve's first English language movie. Hugh Jackman's daughter gets kidnapped and Hugh goes on a vigilante mission to get her back. You've got Jake Gyllenhaal as a detective also trying to get to the bottom of it. Stars uh, Melissa Leo, Viola Davis, Paul Dano. Uh, it's really good, hard-hitting film. Like it, it made it into a lot of the top 10 of 2013 movies, but it's not one I'd even heard of until fairly recently. It's probably still mm. on iPlay because I watched it on BBC as well. Yeah, I think it possibly is. So I'd definitely say check that out. So that is a, another Nick Cage movie in the record books. If you've seen this film or any of the others we've ever discussed, please get in contact with us. You know the email address, cagefightingpod at gmail.com. Also make sure you've got us on the Twitter at cagefightingpod. This is where we'll put out our calls for your questions for future question casts. Obviously, you're listening to us on your smart device or laptop or whatever, so please make sure that you are subscribed. And finally, for this week, Matt, would you like to say goodbye? Take it easy, guys. And if forever you're kidnapped and you're in the back of a taxi and for some bizarre reason you're not hogtied, then what you need to do is take the light out and waggle your little finger through the uh, brake light. That's what I read online in uh, research for this uh, for this movie. Okay. <laughs> Goodbye. Cage fighting, teaching your survival tactics. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Stu, would you like to say goodbye? He needs bear grills here. See you later, guys. Try. <laughs> it's goodbye from me, and remember, it's nine inches and it reloads in 14 minutes. <laughs>